Imagine an aligned approach to the art of coaching, a perspective that blends both coaching and business mastery, all while honoring your vision, your values, and your intuition. Welcome to the Coach with Clarity podcast. I'm Lee McDonough, an ICF credentialed coach, former therapist, and mentor for intuitive coaches and healers. I'll be your guide as you cultivate both the skill set and the mindset needed to transform your clients' lives and your own. Are you ready to be a coach with clarity? Then let's go. Well, hello, my friend. Welcome to the Coach with Clarity podcast. My name is Lee McDonough, I'm your host. And today I am bringing back one of our most popular, most favorite guests, and that is Brayden Drake. Brayden is an attorney who specializes in small businesses and tax law, and he is my go-to person whenever I have a question about anything legal-related, tax-related, contracts, you name it. If you've been listening to the Coach with Clarity podcast for a while, then you will remember Brayden from about a year or so ago. And I wanted to bring him back on and do an episode that really focused on the most common questions he and I get asked when it comes to running your business legally and ethically. So today we're going to cover the top five questions we get asked. And I think it's going to be a great show. So let's get right to it. Here's my interview with Brayden Drake. Well, hello, Brayden. Thank you for coming back on the Coach with Clarity podcast. You're like the returning champion of the show. Oh, good. Love to hear it. Always down the podcast and always here to be a repeat guest. Well, I knew I had to have you back when I looked at my podcast statistics recently and our episode together is one of the most listened to episodes of the entire show. So let's give the people what they want. (laughs) I think the people are clamoring for more legal and tax information. Clearly, we cannot get enough tax and legal information. (laughs) But before we get into that, and before we address the top five questions we hear when it comes to legal issues and tax issues for coaches, for people who have not yet heard your first episode, why don't we introduce you? Tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do for the world. Sure. So hello, everyone. Name is Brayden, and I am a California licensed small business attorney. I also have my master's degree in tax law, so that technically makes me a tax attorney. And now I generally help small businesses through my online programs, primarily a monthly membership where we do all things business entities, contracts, tax planning, and even now like basic financial planning. Super fun. It is such a robust program. I would love to talk about that a little bit at the end. But first, why don't we go right into what is, without a doubt, the number one question I get asked in the Coach with Clarity community, my free Facebook group, also within my membership and from my private coaching clients. Everyone wants to know, can they operate as a sole proprietor if they're a coach or do they need an LLC or another kind of business entity? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so you can operate as a sole proprietorship. That doesn't necessarily make it a good idea, right? And LLC is typically recommended, right? Like we know, and we talked about this on the last podcast episode, that the purpose of an LLC is to help protect your personal assets in the case of a lawsuit, in the case of business liability. Now, my thoughts have shifted on this like a little bit, probably since we recorded the last one. Realize and this is something I talk about a little bit more now, is that an LLC can't protect you under every circumstance. And a specific example of that is typically professional liability. So if you just give really bad advice, 
as you, the individual person, well, they can still sue you personally. So an LLC is not just like going to blanket protect everything. But particularly if you're in a state where it's pretty easy to form and pretty low cost, then it's just added insurance. So like, why not do it? And even if you're in an expensive state like California, it's usually still worth the investment. Yeah, I know here in North Carolina, it was $200 for me to file and it's 200 bucks every year to maintain it. But that's a fraction of what you're paying in California. You're closer to 800. Is that right? Yeah, ours is so interestingly, it's only $70 to form the LLC in California, but then we pay a minimum of $800 a year to have the benefit of having an LLC. I'm actually surprised North Carolina is that expensive. A lot of states like my home state of Indiana, I think is $35 every other year. Oh, wow. All right. So if you're in Indiana, you're pretty lucky. Count yourself lucky. No, and a lot of other like Midwestern and Southern states tend to be like pretty inexpensive. I think it's one of those things, though, that as a business owner, we just need to budget for because the protections that an LLC can offer are worth it, in my opinion. Can we talk a little bit about what those protections are, what it looks like? Yeah. So really what it comes down to is, especially if you have like a physical location, if you're like meeting with people in person, so like a slip and fall would be like a standard liability issue where someone would sue your business. And then your LLC is going to shield all your personal assets from that lawsuit. Right. So that is just kind of a really routine example, but also as you start to grow and scale your business, if you have trademarks, you want your LLC to be the owner of your trademarks. Like your LLC is its own entity. It's its own person. So it's also really good to have a formal business structure like an LLC for succession planning and all these kind of more advanced concepts also. That's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. I, in fact, just found out I got the trademark for the Certified Clarity Coach program earlier this week, which is very exciting, but it's not Lee McDonough who got it. It is Caravel Coaching LLC. And so that and all of my trademarks belong to my LLC. Yeah, that's actually really great because then if you ever wanted to step out of the business or if you wanted to bring on a business partner, like they're automatically getting the rights to all those different assets owned by your business. Excellent. They'll be compensating you accordingly, of course. Yes, yes. One day when I have my exit strategy in plan, but I'm not going anywhere for the time being, y'all. Don't worry. I'm here for the long haul. We talked a little bit about how the price of filing can vary state to state. But sometimes people even wonder, like, where to begin? Like, what does it look like? What do I need to do? Are there general guidelines, regardless of where someone lives, at least in the United States, in terms of how you would go about setting up an LLC? Yeah, so every state's a little bit different. And you're pretty much always going to want to form your LLC in the state in which you live. I see a lot of people who try to get creative and form it elsewhere because they think it's going to be cheaper. It's not. We could go down a whole different rabbit hole about that. So you're going to form your LLC where you live. And then typically your secretary of state is going to have a lot of good general information on the steps that you need to take. So form your LLC, you might want to get a registered agent. So that would be step number one. So registered agent, form the LLC, and then making sure that you're staying on top of all of your compliance obligations. So in some states, you have to do an annual statement of information or an annual report. Some states have an annual franchise tax. That's what we call it in California. Other states have an annual fee. So it's understanding these different obligations. I have all my students create what I call a compliance calendar. It's like literally just like one sheet of paper, like a PDF, and you're just penciling in the month when each of your things are due. So that way, when you do your monthly calendaring routine, whatever that looks like for you, you can make sure that you add that to your task list. That's really smart. One question about what you just said. Can you define what a registered agent is and how someone would know if they even needed one? 
Sure. So a registered agent is the person who's responsible for receiving service process if you're ever sued. So a lot of people have probably seen this in movies before, you know, someone walks up to a character in the movie and they hand them a stack of papers, say, you've been served. These are your court documents. Whenever we sue someone and we have to file something called a complaint with the court and your complaint is the document stating what happens, so it's the facts, and also what you're suing them for. I'm suing you for intentional infliction of emotional distress, and I'm asking for $30,000. Well, obviously, the person that you're suing needs to be put on notice that they're being sued so that they can file what's called an answer with the court, an answer to the complaint. And as the person suing, you are responsible for delivering that complaint to the person to put them on notice. Their registered agent is the person who receives that complaint, the service of process. So you can be your own registered agent. That's not a problem. Typically, the only reason you wouldn't want to be your own registered agent is if you're like, I work out of home and I don't want to put my home address on any type of legal documentation to be served. Or if you happen to have an attorney on retainer that handles all your legal work, you might want to make them your registered agent because then if you're being sued, the attorney is like the first one to hear about it. So some things to consider. A lot of people, if they are hiring a registered agent just because they don't want to do it themselves, but they don't necessarily have an attorney. They'll hire what's called a corporate registered agent. LegalZoom does this, but they charge $300 a year. And I do not recommend that because I think it's just a very inflated price. So you can usually find corporate registered agents for $50 to $70 a year. I would not pay any more than that because that's all they do. That's good to know. That's good to know. All right. So to sum up, it sounds like while you can be a sole proprietor for your coaching business, it's not necessarily the best move. And especially if you're able to factor in the time and the budget to be an LLC, it's going to afford you some additional protections, not blanket protections, but some additional ones. Correct. And also quick note, I don't know if we talked about this on the last episode, Lee, but I know that, you know, in many states, professional license holders can't have LLCs. They have to have PLLCs. In California, you actually have to form a professional corporation. But in your coaching business, that's not the case because you're not acting as a licensed therapist, right? So your coaching business should be A-OK to have an LLC. Just a little nuance there. I'm glad you shared that. Thank you. And that actually kind of leads to question number two for today's episode, which is another very popular question. So a lot of people I work with have another business. Some of them are therapists, so they have a therapy practice, but I also work with real estate agents or realtors. I work with other service professionals. So they have an established business and they want to know if they can just run their coaching through the existing business or if they need an entirely separate one. What's your take on that? Well, it's a pretty nuanced question, but typically we have two considerations. But for your listeners, I think we have three considerations. So you want to go through them in turn? Sure. So the first consideration is a legal consideration. And I know that we talked about, again, on the last episode, the magic bubble of protection. So I talked about how an LLC provides a magic bubble that surrounds your business. And so that anything that's on the outside of the bubble is protected in case you are sued or have a legal catastrophe. So if you have multiple businesses or multiple revenue streams, and we're thinking about same business or separate business, I want you to visually picture, do I want both of my businesses in one bubble? So like if there's an explosion, like it's going to impact both businesses, or do I want them both to have their own bubble, their own LLC? So for legal reasons, attorneys will often advise you to silo everything into its own LLC. So if you talk to people in real estate, they'll have like an LLC for every property they own. So that's consideration number one. 
The second consideration is a tax consideration. And particularly if you have an S-Corp, S-Corps help save us taxes. We won't get into the weeds, but they do. And if we have all of our revenue streams in one business, that allows us to form an S-Corp sooner, and that can help us save more taxes. So we already see how we have this interesting dichotomy of it's good to separate for legal purposes, but maybe not for tax purposes. Yeah, they kind of seem to work against each other almost. Yes, they can. And this is why people get pretty overwhelmed if they talk to a legal professional and a tax professional. And one person's giving them legal advice, one person's giving them tax advice, and neither one is really having the conversation considering the pros and cons of both of these things. So those are our first two. The third consideration, which is going to be relevant for a lot of your audience is when you need to maintain separation for like professional reasons. And this is just that if you are a therapist, you hold a credential and you're providing coaching services, you need to be very, very clear that you're not providing therapy services to your coaching clients. In which case, if you're maintaining both of those businesses, they should be under separate business umbrellas under separate LLCs, using separate contracts, using very, very clear disclaimers. All these different formalities help ensure that your coaching clients can't later claim that you're giving them therapy services and then sue you for malpractice. Yes, especially if they do not reside in a state where you are licensed. That is a big deal. So there are legal reasons, and I would say there are ethical reasons for licensed professionals that can be therapists. But I know here in North Carolina, if you're an architect, you have a license. So there's all sorts of occupations where this would be relevant. Please just keep it separate. It's so much easier. It does take a little bit of work up front to establish that separate LLC. And yeah, sometimes it may be annoying to have two websites and two marketing plans, but you will just save yourself a lot of heartache in the long run. So that's generally what I advise. Don't blend your coaching practice with your other business, especially if you're a license holder. Yes. So if the question is therapy and coaching, separate businesses for sure. Another example you gave earlier was like real estate and coaching, then maybe talk to someone about it. Yeah. Especially if the coaching you're providing is specific for realtors. You know, if you are a realtor yourself and you're buying and selling homes, and then you're coaching other people on how to do so, maybe that's a situation where it could fall under one business. But this is probably one area where you would want to seek legal counsel from someone in your state who's familiar with the kind of work that you do. Yes. All right. So we've already covered two more questions. I got three more. Are you up for it? Yes. Okay. So question number three, what would someone need to have in place in order to operate their business in a way that's fully compliant legally, ethically with the IRS, all of that good stuff. It's a pretty loaded, it's a pretty loaded question, Lee. <laughs> I know. And you've got two minutes. Go. No, I'm kidding. Oh, Take yeah, as much minutes. time as you need. <laughs> so we have our compliance tasks. Those are the things that we have to do, right? So if you are a professional license holder, you have to maintain your professional license. Surprisingly, from a legal perspective, there's not a whole lot of other things that we have to do, right? Like we don't have to have an LLC. We don't even have to have insurance most of the time, but we still want to have those things. So we want to have LLC, ideally insurance. We want to have contracts, disclaimers, liability waivers, all those sorts of legal documents. Those are the ones we want on our legal side. As far as licensing goes, you might also need a local business license if your city requires one, things like DBAs or fictitious business licenses and EIN, seller's permits I talk about, but we're all service providers. So in most states, our services are not going to be subject to sales tax. You can kind of disregard that one. Those are most of our legal 
obligations. Eventually, you can also look into trademarks, employment laws, all that good stuff. From a tax perspective, again, we don't need to probably worry about sales tax. So we're talking about state income tax and federal income tax. You will need to likely save and pay quarterly taxes, and then you need to file your annual tax return. And I almost want to say like, it's as easy as that, but obviously to do your taxes, you also have to do your bookkeeping and, you know, maintain records, send 1099s if applicable, all those smaller things. So this is the point where I know some people are probably like, oh my God, that feels like a lot. (laughs) And I feel like this would be a great time to talk about resources out there that can support them, including something you offer, which is ProfitRx. Can we talk about that for a minute or two? Sure. So... I call it a monthly group coaching program. It's really, it's a membership, but I had a $2,000 course that I rolled into this program and I combined it with a membership that I already had in order to give all the educational support along with twice weekly co-working calls and Q and A's. And we go into great detail into everything I've mentioned really thus far on the podcast plus much more. So there's tutorial videos on how to form your LLC There are spreadsheets and templates to help you do profit planning and also figure out how much you should be saving for taxes. It's a very robust and in-depth program. It really is. And I know having known you for a couple of years now that this really is like a labor of love. You've been working on it for years. I'm really excited that it's now available in this format. So I would recommend everyone check out ProfitRx. You can actually go to coachwithclarity.com slash ProfitRx to learn more. But to have Brayden essentially in your pocket, supporting you from the beginning, and then as you grow, as you scale, I think is well worth the investment. So definitely go check it out. Nice. And I can tell you, I already have a few people from your community in the program. So you'll be in good company. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. All right. We kind of touched on the tax piece just now. So that leads me to another question I want to ask you, which is essentially like, what do people need to be thinking about throughout the year so that they don't get slammed at tax season when they're trying to prepare their taxes and they're worried about owing? Like, what are some steps that they can take along the way? Yeah. So the main things are you need to be saving taxes as you go. So you should be setting aside tax on every client payment that you get. So you got to save the tax. You need to pay the taxes on a quarterly basis. And then you also have to maintain all your books and records. So this is standard bookkeeping. If you're a newer business owner, I actually encourage newer business owners to use a spreadsheet. I give templates for that. It's a lot simpler than learning software. Once you're kind of ready, you have too many transactions, which is typically a quality problem to have, then you can start to use a software. But I mean, obviously the how-to of that, not super, super simple, but the checklist is pretty simple. You got to save taxes, we got to pay them, we got to do our books. Excellent. And when someone, whether they're a sole proprietor or an LLC, like, is that a separate tax situation? Does it get rolled in with personal? Like, how does all that work? When you are a sole proprietor or a single member LLC, you are going to be filing your taxes with your personal tax return on a form Schedule C. You don't really need to know the form names, but it's all part of the same tax return. You're not filing a business return. You're filing a form for your business on your personal tax return. I say that like eight different ways because people get really confused. Once you have an S-corp, if you already have an S-corp, then your S-corp does file its own tax return. If you have a partnership, your partnership files its own tax return, and those returns are due on March 15th of each year, so a full month before your personal returns are due. 
And then after those returns get filed, you issue yourself a K-1 and use that K-1 to do your personal taxes. It's just like getting a 1099, right? But you're getting it from your own business, which is kind of wonky. Yeah. And some people might be wondering, how do I know when I even need an S-Corp? Like at what point should they be thinking about that as a tax strategy? So once you have an S-Corp, you have to put yourself on a reasonable minimum salary and you got to get on payroll and you need to be paying yourself, like I said, a reasonable. What does that mean? Well, it's based on a whole bunch of factors. So what does someone in your industry, in your market with your amount of experience, like expect to earn? There are different ways that we can calculate this number. But if we you know, determine that it was $50,000, then the way that I teach it to give this super, super simple method is that you want to be profiting at least $20,000 more than that. So if your reasonable salary is 50,000, then we want at least profit of 70,000. If you're operating at a 70% profit margin, that would mean gross revenue of about 100,000. Okay, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And again, just to be clear, an S corp, that's a tax thing, right? That's not like a secretary of state thing. Correct. So S corps, we call it a tax status. It's not a type of entity. So LLCs and corporations can elect S-Corp tax status. So typically what we would do is you're going to form your LLC. And then once you are profiting enough in your business for it to make sense to become an S-Corp, you file an S-Corp election for that LLC with the IRS. You can do that at the same time you form your LLC. Or if you're not ready, then you kind of have the option every January and February at each new year to, I call it like evolve or upgrade into an S-Corp. That's really helpful because one question I have seen, not so much in my group, but in other groups I'm in is, should I be an LLC or should I be an S-Corp? And it's actually not either or because we're talking about two different things. One is a business entity and one is a tax status. Yeah. Usually when they post that, they're asking, should I form an LLC or should I form an LLC and also elect for that LLC to get S-Corp tax status? Right. And it sounds like it really depends on revenue and profit margins as to whether an S-Corp is going to be the right choice or not for you. Correct. Okay. Excellent. All right. We've covered a lot. Anything tax related that you feel like we should touch on before we move to our final question? I don't think so. I know we're keeping it like fairly general on this episode. So without getting to the weeds on the laws around like certain types of deductions and everything, I think we've covered like all the basic concepts that we need to. Perfect. And if people want to get into the weeds, that's what ProfitRx is for. So they can exactly. go ask you a question yeah. over there. They can also listen to your podcast too. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. But first, let's come to the fifth and final question that I wanted to ask you today, which is about hiring. So. I know a lot of coaches get to the point in their business where they don't want to be wearing all of the hats. Maybe they want to hire a copywriter to write a sales page for them. Maybe they want to work with a graphic designer to create a new brand. Maybe they want a VA. I just wanted to talk to you about, from a legal perspective, what coaches need to be aware of if they're thinking about hiring someone, either from a project basis or if they actually want like someone to work exclusively for them. Yes. Okay. There's a lot of different ways we could approach this question, Lee. So first thing, you got to have a contract, right? So regardless, we got to have a contract, independent contractor agreement, super important. Are you wanting to get into kind of the differences between employees versus contractors, like employment law issues? We can do that because I think that may be relevant and especially relevant more so for some people, depending on where they live. Yes. Okay. 
So super, super quick background. Here in California, we passed a new law a couple of years ago. It actually got codified by our legislature. It's called AB5. And it has to deal with who can be a contractor and who can be an employee. And if any of you have followed kind of the elections and you remember the huge proposition we had here in California where Uber and Lyft were paying like millions of dollars for Do you remember that, Lee? Did you hear about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was on the national news for sure. Yes. And so what that proposition was all about was Uber and Lyft and really all rideshare, like ride delivery apps, trying to exempt themselves from the law. And it passed. So they got exempted, which was great for them. Right. And the reason why they had to do this is because under this law, it provides an ABC test. And the ABC test determines who can be an employee and who can be a contractor and who must be an employee. And part B is the particularly difficult part because part B essentially says that you cannot have a contractor if someone provides the same core service as you. So if you're a life coach, another life coach could not be a contractor. If you're a photographer, another photographer could be a contractor. But if you're a life coach hiring a web designer to design your website, that's not an issue. That's like a standard contracting relationship. So that's kind of our threshold issue, right? And then under the law, there's like all kinds of caveats and exceptions. Like I think therapists are probably exempt because attorneys and doctors and dentists and all of these professional license holders are. So we won't go like super far into that, but just know that I think there are like 20 or 30 states who have similar rules to California. And then the rest of the states follow the older rules that are a lot more flexible and have more to do with the amount of control you have over the people that you're working with. So these are the things that we need to think about when we're hiring people, specifically if they're actually delivering the services to our clients on our behalf or alongside us. I think that's really important. Two things there to clarify. Number one, if you want to hire someone who does something different than what you do, it's probably okay for it to be an independent contractor relationship. You don't need to bring on a web designer as an employee, especially if they're doing a project, because that's not something you could do as a life coach. Like that would be an IC versus if you wanted to scale your program and have coaches who work under you that work with various clients, that sounds like it would be more of an employee situation. Yes. And also another way to think about this is also, are you hiring someone on a project basis to do something for your business? Are you hiring someone on an ongoing basis to do work for your clients? If I'm hiring a business strategist to help me plan a launch, or I'm hiring a designer, anything like that, they're not working with my clients. They're helping me with my business. Pretty, pretty clear. But where it gets a little bit gray is if maybe you're like a general coach, but you bring in someone else who specializes in like career coaching, and they're going to work with your clients now to do like resumes or whatever, then it gets kind of gray. Like, are they doing the same thing that you do? Maybe not, but they're working with your clients. So it's a sticky issue. And that's where you want to really start to do your research. Yes. Do your research and if necessary, consult with someone in the state where your business is located who can help you navigate what your state's laws are because they do vary. There are some kind of general federal guidelines, I assume, at least from tax purposes, but like states can get a little wonky with how they want to do things. Yeah. To kind of tie a bow up on a lot of this, I'll share that for tax purposes, most of what we care about is federal income tax. So that's going to be the same state to state. Uh, when it comes to business entities, LLCs, S-Corps, there are state nuances, but it's like pretty much the same everywhere. But when it comes to these employment questions, it's highly state specific. And I'd say that's the one area where it's worthwhile consulting a locally licensed employment attorney. All right. That makes sense. And with that, we've covered the top five questions I see in my Facebook group and among my clients when it comes to coaching. Anything we missed? Anything else that we should cover? 
I mean, I think we covered a lot in like what, 25 minutes. I know we're really good. <laughs> yeah. Covered a lot, covered a lot. I think that's, you know, all of the big kind of umbrella categories. Again, I think that the topic idea for this episode was really awesome. Like the biggest questions like in your industry, right? So I can talk about all sorts of stuff, but I think we've covered the really, really relevant things for your audience, which is exciting. I think we have too. And the great thing is that if someone's listening and has more questions or has a specific thing they want more information on, they can reach out and connect with you. What's the best way for them to do that? Yes. Well, since they're already here, I'm assuming that they are podcast listeners. So hop over to my podcast. Can I say my podcast name? Do you allow swear? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So my podcast, swear warning, my podcast is titled Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden. You got to put the asterisk for the U to find it in your podcast platform. So go subscribe. I have 200 plus episodes and counting. That's the best place to get free content from me. Um, Of course, Lee already shared the link to my program. If you're like, sign me up. I'm all in. You can go there. If you want to chat with me and just connect, Instagram's the best place to do that. And my Instagram is Braden, B-R-A-D-E-N, Adam Drake. That's my full name. We will have links to all of those places in the show notes. So you'll be able to find Braden on Instagram, his podcast, which is fantastic. And a lot of those episodes, I feel like they're like short bites. So if you have a quick question, like you can get in and out in five or 10 minutes. And so they're really like packed with valuable information, but succinct at the same time. Yeah. I have to keep the topics pretty narrow. Once you get like over 200 episodes on like the niche that I'm in, it's like, all right, we got to like really dial into some specifics, but it's fun. I have have like a series of trademark episodes where I bring on a trademark attorney. So we try to address like all these big topic areas, even when it's not necessarily in my wheelhouse, which is fun. It is a fantastic free resource. So definitely go check out the podcast, go check out profit RX. Again, go to coachwithclarity.com slash profit RX to learn more. And Brayden, I just want to say thanks for coming back on the show. We'll have to do it again next year. Thank you. Yes, we'll just go ahead and calendar it on a recurring basis. You're booked. That's perfect. (laughs) All right, friend, talk to you soon. Bye. I always have the best time whenever I have a conversation with Brayden. I really appreciate his ability to take serious matters like law and taxes and bring a light spin on them. You know, anytime I've got a legal question and I talk to him about it, I always leave feeling like, okay, yeah, no, I get it. And I can handle this. And I know that that's what you will find too, if you choose to head into his Profit RX program. It really is incredible. I feel privileged to have seen Braden develop all of his programs over the last several years. And he has created something really special with this membership from the course that he created to his in-depth group coaching calls, you're really going to get a lot out of the program. So definitely go check it out. It's coachwithclarity.com slash profit RX. And we will have links to that in the show notes as well. I hope you will join me for next week's episode of the coach with clarity podcast. It is actually the first of a two part series about making next year your best year yet. I'm sharing with you exactly what I do when it comes to planning out my year And I think you're going to get a lot out of it. It's definitely an actionable strategy packed episode. So do tune in and to make sure you get that episode automatically in your podcast feed, be sure you are following the coach with clarity podcast, wherever you listen to your shows, there should be an option to follow or subscribe. So go ahead and click that button. And then every Monday, a brand new episode of the coach with clarity podcast will be right there waiting for you. 
I am already at work planning some fantastic episodes for 2022, and I would love to hear from you. What would you like to hear more of on the show? Come find me over on Instagram at Coach with Clarity and drop me a DM. I want to make sure that these podcast episodes serve you and your coaching practice and your coaching business. So if there is something you'd like to hear more of, let me know, and we'll see if we can't work that into our calendar for 2022. All right, my friend, I hope you have a wonderful week. And until next time, my name is Lee Shea McDonough, reminding you to get out there and show the world what it means to be a coach with clarity. Thanks for listening to the Coach with Clarity podcast. Be sure to visit coachwithclarity.com for detailed show notes and bonus material just for podcast listeners. Did you enjoy today's podcast? If so, then I invite you to check out the Coach with Clarity membership program exclusively for intuitive coaches ready to master both the business and the craft of coaching. You'll discover monthly hot seat coaching calls, Q&A sessions, and guest expert trainings, as well as the most supportive and innovative community of coaches out there. If you're ready to take your coaching to the next level, then you're ready for the Coach with Clarity membership. Learn more at coachwithclarity.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you know a coach who could use a little clarity in their work and life, then please share this episode with them. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Coach with Clarity podcast. Until then, go show the world what it means to be a coach with clarity.